In the holy name of Jesus, amen. If you were to speak to somebody who was completely foreign to the Christian religion about what it means to be a Christian, what would you say? You might talk about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world, the only Savior of the world. You might talk about how Jesus has died and resurrected from the dead and is going to return to bring us home with Him. Or you might even talk about a checklist that you have to have if you're going to be a Christian. You've got to be baptized. You've got to pray. You've got to attend church. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to take communion. You've got to do all of these things in order to be a Christian. Who doesn't love a good checklist, right? I've got all sorts of crazy checklists on my phone and on little pieces of paper and notepads scattered throughout all my office. The problem is, is I don't know where half of them are. I love a good checklist, though. Hey, I brushed my teeth today. I can check that off. I've combed all of my hairs today. I can check that off. After I'm done speaking to you today, I can check off that I've given yet another sermon. When you've accomplished all of these things, you actually feel like you're accomplished. You're fulfilled. And then you turn around to the next list. My checklist for yesterday is not the checklist for today. It's not the checklist maybe even for tomorrow. After I'll get done today and look at my checklist, and maybe if I've checked everything off, I'll just pat myself on the back and say, good job. Is that really what Christianity, though, is really all about? I've had the chance and opportunity to sit down with people who've come in from different faith backgrounds, particularly some who were Muslim. And quite honestly, they're not familiar with Christianity in a lot of ways. They know who Jesus is. They have their own views of who Jesus is. But most times when I've sat down with people from that particular religion of, of Islam, they have always asked me, what do you have to do to be a Christian? What do you have to fulfill. After all, Islam has five tenets that you're supposed to follow. You're supposed to make a pilgrimage to the Hajj uh, festival. You're supposed to give 2.5% of your tithe to the church or to the synagogue or the uh, mosque. You're supposed to, I can't remember what else it is, all of these things. And if you fulfilled these five tenets, you're doing pretty good. You've made it good with Allah. But I would also say that we at times look at all of this here today as one big checklist. Go to church, pray, go to Bible study, do a devotion, receive communion, rinse and repeat, right? If it's necessary. I remember a fair amount of my colleagues from my confirmation class, and it's unfortunate that most of them are not attending church anymore. The old joke amongst pastors is, is if you want to drive people away from the church, confirm them. Huh? You might say, that's crazy, pastor, but it's true. But you're confirming them into their unbelief, yes? But is that how we view all of this? Structured, in a box, 
a certain way, a certain order and path and checklist to follow. Got this taken care of. I've been baptized. Got this taken care of. I've been confirmed. Got this taken today. Taken care of today. I've, I've prayed the prayers I'm supposed to pray before my meal or for bed or before getting up in the morning, whatever else it might be. The reality is, is that we cannot turn this Christian faith into a checklist, even if it's like the six chief parts of the catechism. That's really what the Pharisees were doing today with Jesus. They want Jesus to tell what's the greatest commandment. Because it was an open question. They were debating about whether you should love God more or love your neighbor more or whatever else it is. There were all of these schools of thought about how you could be a faithful person before God. And they wanted to see which side Jesus would take. If you're looking for Jesus to tell you what to do, prepare to be disappointed. Remember the rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus talks about how do you read the law? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have read this correctly. And the, serv- the man says, I've done all of this. And what does Jesus say to him in return? Then sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And that rich young man walks away sad. Now, Jesus is not sitting there today in that passage and saying, you, if you have to sell all that you have, your house, your clothes, your kids, or whatever else it is, to become a Christian. He's getting to the root of all of us. If this is what you think you have to do in order to be in the good graces of God, He's going to ramp it up to the point where you look at this and say, it is utterly impossible. I can't do it. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He says today, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and guess what, guys? There's another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. How does this sit with your checklist of the Christian religion? If you're looking at it this week, have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You'd probably say, Maybe that woke us up a little bit. How about loving your neighbors yourself? <clears throat> Probably not either. I bet there's been a time, even this morning, maybe when you were driving here today, although traffic's not so bad on Sunday morning, or maybe you weren't loving your neighbor as yourself, and yet you sit here today with me. Do we go back and start over? Do we go back and erase the checklist? What do we do? There is no checklist to check off. There is no ladder to climb. It's either Jesus doing all of this for us and in us and through us, or it is nothing. What does life look like for us as a Christian? We could tell others very simply. It is a life of grace and mercy and peace given by Jesus through His crucifixion and His resurrection. It's given to you in your baptism, where you are signed and sealed with God's holy, 
precious blood which was poured out by Jesus, where you were declared to be his holy and beloved children, where he said at the font, you are mine. And as Paul says, no matter what the present sufferings we face today, nothing compares to the glory that will be revealed to us. Nothing can take this away from you. It's given to you in the Word of God, which we hear that simply says, Jesus from the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. You've heard that before. Well, guess what? He's talking about that checklist. They're not going to fulfill the law. They're not going to live perfectly in obedience. We don't know what we are doing in our sins. Have you ever sat back for a moment and looked at yourself and said, what in the world am I thinking? What am I saying? What am I doing? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the word of God that you heard today very plainly and clearly today in the words of absolution was not the pastor saying he somehow has the ability to forgive sins, but it was God saying to you, I forgive you all your sins. The slate is wiped clean. My son has fulfilled everything. That's why we have this bulletin cover today. It is a cross with the commandments crucified to it, that Jesus has come to fulfill the law for you and on account of you for your benefit. You're given this today as you come to this meal where we receive the true body and true blood of Jesus Christ with the bread and wine, but truly present as well for us, not as a symbol or a sign, but to give it to you to forgive you of all of your sins and to strengthen your faith. And in all of this, we can do this because Christ strengthens us and he brings us back to this place over and over again. There is no checklist. This is grace, peace, and mercy given to you and now you go out and live life there was a theologian by the name of stanley Hauerwas who simply wrote christianity is not a religion it's an adventure huh it's an adventure i like that statement why have you ever gone throughout life where everything just seems nice, neat, orderly, checklist, all set and done? No! How many of you who live by the checklist also look at it at the end of the day and say, I didn't get anything done. I had this fully in mind to do today, and then the train came in and wrecked in front of me. That's why it's an adventure. You don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow that every once in a while somebody will come into my office and they'll they'll call me on the phone and they'll say pastor what do we need to do in order to fill the blank get married be baptized take communion or whatever else it is and really it all begins with a discussion. Not with jumping through hoops A, B, C, and D, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 
That's the religion of Islam. That's the religion of the Pharisees. There are no scales or checklists with Jesus. They've been abolished. The world has been given back to you in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he simply says here today, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who does that mean? What checklist do I put for that? It means everyone. Everyone who doesn't look like you, act like you, speak like you, or think like you. How will we live? It's that simple. It's no small thing that if you go here from today and you go to McDonald's and you all of a sudden strike up a conversation with somebody as you're waiting in line at McDonald's or wherever it is, it's no small thing that God has placed that stranger in front of you. You might say, well, it's just sort of a happy coincidence. God says, no, I've ordered all of your days and your deeds that you walk through them. Simply love your neighbor as yourself. It's fun to ask questions about this stuff and to even field questions about Christian ethics in order to answer all of these things. But in the end, the answer is really simple. Love God and love your neighbor. If you read this week's weekly news with my little article that I wrote in there, you've seen that I have openly confessed that I am a lousy paperwork pastor. I hate paperwork. And I know I should be better. But to me, there's just something sort of icky about it. Something that seems sort of pharisaical. Is it possible for somebody to come here and receive all of Christ's gift with us, but not be an on-the-paper member of the church? Who knows? You might say, well, that, I don't know, Pastor. Their file is not in the records with us. But Christianity sometimes isn't nice, neat, and orderly. Sometimes people come into the church not able to follow the whole process. Doesn't mean that we do away with it. Doesn't mean that we don't follow it. But at times, it's not going to be the same life and pattern that you have. Maybe you were baptized and raised and confirmed and all of this with this same church. Maybe somebody comes in completely off the street into this place and they're not baptized and raised as a Christian or a Lutheran or anything else. What do we do? This is where we meet people where they're at. Obsession with checklists turns the world into a demented and twisted version of the gifts of God. We are free. We are free by Jesus' blood to love one another. But freedom is difficult. We might say it's a little dangerous. We're going in a territory we're not so comfortable with. But people who are freed from the prison of sin, death, and the devil often have a difficult time going back into the world. A checklist might be easier. Give me some things that I can do. Seven steps to better Christian life, pastor. But what if you're only living out four of that checklist? Or five? We've thrown the law right back onto you, and you just haven't done enough have you you are called to live a life of love why because you have first been loved 
by Jesus Christ. That even might be hard to accept, but it's true. Every last one of your sins have been forgiven. God loves you so much because of that. I have seen it change people's lives through the Word of God and through baptism and through all of these other things. Jesus looks at you and says, yes, I love that one. That one there who has sinned terribly in thought, word, and deed. But this is also dangerous and difficult because love expects no favors in return. Love, loving your neighbor, loving those around you might actually open you up to a world of hurt and even pain. I had the unfortunate opportunity, and I say it's unfortunate, it was very fortunate but unfortunate opportunity to help out a local pastor who's from the northwest Arkansas area who had his son down here at the Arkansas Children's Hospital in the intensive care unit. His son was 17 years old. He was there for two months, and it was admittedly hard to get in to the hospital to see him. It was hard enough to even see him inside the ICU at that young of age. Going in a place like that and seeing kids who are full of tubes and everything else like that is not a very easy thing to see. Yesterday I got a text from him that his son had passed on to eternal life. And he thanked you, the church, for your love and for your prayers and for all of the things that people here had done and given to them. And we sit here and we listen to that today and say, oh, that's so sad, that's so hurtful, that's so, such a thing that must be an immense amount of pain for them. But for we as Christians, we bear with one another in their burdens. We grieve when they grieve. We are full of sorrow when they are full of sorrow. We rejoice when others rejoice. Why? Because that is the gift of love that God has given to you. The gift of love which has been fulfilled and given for you by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We love because He first loved us. There is no more checklist. It is simply Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen, and living in and through you, now and forever. To Christ alone be the glory, forever and ever. Amen.